Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. So in this roundtable spotlight, we're going to be talking about Orphan Black, the TV show. Uh, I am joined by Kay Kellum. Say hello, Kay. Hello, I am Kay Kellum. And two of our friends. We've got Linda Chan. Hello, I am Linda. And Erica Chan. Hey, I'm Erica Chan from TV Heartbeat at Mike the Fanboy. Cool. Now, we've all watched all of season one of Orphan Black. And Linda, you've gotten up to Family Day or whatever on uh, yes, season I two? Yes, I just saw Family Day on season two. All Epis- right. Episode seven, season two. Episode seven, season two. Thank you. This is a show I got on too late because Kay had been talking about it saying, oh, you've got to watch it. You've got to watch it. And I think it was right before Con last year that I kind of marathon. I, I like BBC having 10 episode seasons. It's really easy to catch up on. And at first I'm like, you know, okay, not knowing what it is going in. What's the big deal? Whatever. First episode hooked me and I've been a fan ever since. And the lead actress, uh, Tatiana, what's Masani? Masani, thank you amazing job she's doing she is playing multiple characters in this show what got you all into the show and has kept you hooked you know i first started seeing promos on bbc america before the show came out and it was terrible i looked on luck and like what is this about multiple personalities because it was a very artsy kind of you know abstract sort of ad there was a picture of her face and all these random little quotes it sounded like different women so it sounded like a multiple dis- mm-hmm. personality disorder so i was not interested in it uh but one day i had some time and the first four episodes were up for binging on demand so yeah so as you know after you start watching the first episode you kind of get hooked so then i watched the rest of it and that was it and i remember talking to Kay about it too yeah, well, and I had been seeing the commercials, but I guess the ones I had seen were a little different because the commercials I was seeing, it was clear from the start that in the role of Sarah, she was seeing what was maybe a twin she was separated from at birth named Beth die. But Sarah was having the rough scrabble life. She'd been a foster kid and she saw this chance to steal a better life of someone who looked just like her. And that was such an interesting concept, even before you got all the complexities of the show. What's interesting with that is we've seen The Lion Game, Ringer, and stuff like that that deals with twins, one stealing essentially the other one's life. So it would be easy to go into Orphan Black with that expectation. Or again, the multiple personalities, because, I mean, frankly, that seems the more likely than the clone stuff they went with. Yeah, and I stepped into the first episode thinking I was going to see a twins separated at birth show. So as it got far more complex and far more interesting, I just got sucked further and further into the show. I think that's actually a lot of the impact of the first show is that you had no idea what you were watching. And they did it on purpose. Right. Which is why when anybody asked me what the show was about, I could only pitch them the first five minutes up until where Sarah sees Beth commit suicide. And then basically, and like, and I hope that was enough of a hook because I don't want to give anything else because that's exactly. two or three episodes in. And really the power of the show is in how they're crafted, how the mystery unravels. And I don't want to give that out for people who don't know. It surprised me how long into the show it took for them to explain the name or the title Orphan Black. 
Yeah, I, I really don't think it's a good title for the show. <laughs> I, I don't think so either, but I don't know what would be a better better title for that. Well, especially since they were trying to keep a secret, the real driving gist of the show and the great mystery of the show. All right, so you got in before. You were aware of the show before it started, Erica. Uh, title, title, mostly. But yeah. got in early. I was recording them all, but because I thought it was twins separated at birth and I knew it was only going to be 10 episodes, I recorded them and planned to marathon them. And about episode five, the commercials were getting more and more interesting. So I thought, okay, I can't hold off and watch them all at the end. I have to start watching them okay. week by week. How about you, Linda? When did you get on, on board with it? I don't have BBC America on my cable subscriptions, but I had heard from Erica resounding reviews about how great this series is. So uh, I've been meaning to catch up with it, and I binged on it as much as I could before Comic-Con, knowing how much Orphan Black is trying to push and uh, have um, publicity during this particular con. And certainly once I started watching, I was hooked on it. The plot is quite intricate, and it's refreshing when you see a story and you cannot predict where it's going. Um, and where later on everybody's characters kind of do a flip. Um, it's quite refreshing to see. I mean, not only the clones, but even like Vic uh, changes personalities and well, has a change. It's, it's, it's quite nice. They do those flips, yet they stay in character. Right. It's not, you know, like Heroes where it's a gimmick and it, it doesn't make sense for the character. And it's, it's, it's a flip just to... You know, like uh, some kind of gimmick. This is this is true to the plot and yeah. who the characters are for that type of circumstance, and it's refreshing. Well, I think one of the things that actually helps them, because um, I had a chance to talk to some of the producers actually at the end of season one, is that they actually do have a general roadmap for where the series is going, which I think is a difference from a lot of other shows, which you know burn hot, big ideas. We got a lot of great things that look great for a trailer for next week's episode, but we don't have a bigger picture for where this is all going. And I think this show does have a definite idea of where things go. I think it doesn't have a, an exact roadmap where all the stops are along the way, and that's okay, because I think that's when they find different things to pull out. But we're going to get less of the gimmicky things if they know generally where they want to go. Right, right. There are, I mean, in my mind, a lot of particularly genre TV shows go through a certain set of phases. There's what they want to write, you know, the the show they set out to do, the the, the show that hits the air. And then in some cases, they get to the point where they're writing the show they thought they were writing, not what we're as viewers actually watching. And they've kind of like lost their way a little bit. I think Lost and a couple other shows went that way where it's like they think item A is what really has hooked the audience. And it's no, no, it's B, C and D that are keeping us here. You know, but I, I think with Orphan Black, they've created such a rich world of characters so quickly, so immersively that you know the they they keep going in a logical through line there's a strong plot as to what some of the characters are doing and their goals even if we're not sure what those are well and there are a lot of natural progressions Cosima being a scientist and trying to figure out everything going on naturally led her into a place in the dyad institute and having that portion of the mystery come in it's not like she was an illogical person to put in there it's not like they forced her in it made sense for her to have a job there it helps when you have 10 different clones you can put in any situation yes yes, yes. but they are fully fleshed out characters with backstories and motives and their own goals and things too which you know 
helps drive the force in so many different directions. I mean, very clear, different personalities, different supporting casts. And when you see some of those supporting casts for the different clones intersect in odd ways, Mm. it's just a lot of fun. So for me, you know, there's one clone I always forget Tatiana plays. For me, that's Allison. Sometimes I forget she's Allison and all the other characters because to me, it's such a different kind of energy and animal. Do you guys have the same way? It's funny because when we watched the Clone Versation special they did with the Will Wheaton host, that was the first time I saw the actress just as herself. And for me, since Sarah is the clone we get introduced to first and see really the most of, and it's kind of her story with the other clones around, I kind of, you know, think that's the default personality for the actress. And it's not. Not at all. And then again, like you said, Allison is so 180 degrees different. And what I love is how fully fleshed out each one is. And when one of them is impersonating another, seeing how that character is perceived by the clone impersonating them adds a whole nother layer to the thing. It's it, well, that it's was- amazing. That was well done, I would think, in the last episode Linda saw, if you're at the point I think you're at. Yes, 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 where they, uh, family day and... uh... Yeah, where Sarah is being Allison, talking to Donnie. And then she's Sarah being Allison, being Donnie. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, the the role-playing and... Yeah, and it was just brilliant, and at one point she is slipping up on the pronouns and the tenses of words. And Donnie is sitting there going, wait a sec, what's going on here? You know, and he's very confused, but it's almost Sarah coming to some realizations about what Allison is going through. Because on the outside, Allison looks like she probably has the easiest life of most of the clones. Yeah. She thinks, well, they all think she does, (laughs) but... yeah. Well, again, from the outside looking yeah. at it, she's got the, the husband, the kids, the suburban life, no real outside stresses of being a cop, being, you know, essentially a con artist like Sarah was, or crazy mm-hmm. like Alana, Alana is. You know, it's the fact that they can put any clone in literally any sort of a situation opens up so many doors. And I like how they leverage that and never seem to abuse that. Because I think there are a lot of ways this concept could have just gone completely off the rails. You, know, you could have done the, the clone of the week kind of a storyline or something. Well, and I'm grateful they haven't. Because at one point I was afraid every single week a new clone would come in. And I'm glad we've had the core group of clones with others occasionally filtering in and awareness of others. But we've really stayed true to our core group. Now, Erica, when you talked to the producers and such, you got the sense they had a game plan. Mm-hmm. Did you get a sense of how many seasons that might play out over? I'm trying to recall, I think they had an idea for like around about five, what they kind of started with and pitched with. Um, and so, yeah, they had a roadmap for what was going on. I think the producers, they had found the script and had talked to uh, Graham Anson and John Fawcett, the showrunners and creators, about where the roadmap was and really wanted to make sure that they had a concrete idea. So they weren't kind of floundering around and looking for stunts like, you know, serial killer clone of the week and let's go take her and make her go yodeling in the Swiss Alps or something else like that just to, because they can. Yeah, the yodeling clone they can skip, I, I think I'm okay no, with that. But we did well, have we already had the musical. Yes. What I loved about the musical was how it reflected what was going on in Allison's life in some respects. Yes. You know, the, the oddly, you know, uh, apropos setting. And also it just showcased, again, the actress. The, the lead actress, Tatiana, is just, she, she shows she can sing. She's doing all these different characters, switching between them sometimes 
within a scene when she's impersonating one or two of the other clones. Uh, the fact she, as far as I know, has not gotten any awards for that. I think it's just a crime. She's actually won the Television Critics Awards for the last two years. Oh, okay, good. So, you know, I'm, I'm voting with the television critics, uh, not with the Emmy voters on where they're going and rewarding performances lately. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. she's doing an amazing job and deserves every award she gets for it. I think there's a lot of that involves, but if you ask an Emmy voter to vote for something called Orphan Black, which sounds like it's some sci-fi thing, there's there's still some prejudice around that. And it'll in be in fairness, it is about clones. It is a sci-fi thing, which Correct. I think makes that even worse. Well, and there's a prejudice against behind it that they can't be quality. It can't be serious drama. Let's reward all the serious, ambitious cable prestige shows. And so, you know, it's really disappointing because there's been some hard campaigning for her. And the kind of the first year, okay, maybe Emmy voters didn't know about the show. Maybe she doesn't have enough credentials. We don't feel like we have permission to nominate her. But the second year, there's been enough kind of awareness established on it, too. There's been an outcry behind all of this. She's won the television critics' admiration, you know, twice over. It looked like there might have been a chance that she got the nomination, but of course didn't, and went trending immediately worldwide on the protests for it, too. Yeah. So, hello, Clone Club. Um yeah. Well, and in the conversation, one of the things I found really interesting was when the cast was talking about the fact that one of the things that helps Tatiana Maslany get into the various different characters is that her co-stars treat her differently when she's in the different makeup and the different personalities. So they help her to create the different clones and to be in character. That's one of those where I think it's it's an ensemble show in some really weird ways the fact that you've got one actress essentially playing the equivalent of an ensemble cast in and of themselves is amazing but the fact that all the other actors are reacting to the character they think that is or that it is or whatnot helps i think really raise the the level of stuff and the guy who plays felix amazing jordan Gavaris. yeah he has been doing an amazing job as well and he's interacted i think with the most clones the way he acts with uh, Allison versus Sarah versus, you know, most of the others and stuff. It it creates a different feel, a different tone, and it, it really gives that sense of different worlds colliding at times. You know, particularly the first time Victor shows up at Allison's house, you know, so you've got Sarah's world colliding with that. You've got Felix coming in, you know, as the go-between or whatever. Um, they've got just all around an amazing cast, I think, and the writers give them great stuff to work with. I think there are definitely some standouts in the cast. I love Jordan because um, Felix is such a great character. He's been incredibly useful plot-wise in the stories mm-hmm. because you love the chemistry between him and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Even as much as Sarah just dumps on poor Felix. Um, but the way that he interacts with Allison, too, is pretty critical to yes. giving her something to cling to as she's going through all these crises all the time. So they're pretty hilarious together. Um, but he's just been such a great rock for all of this. And Jordan in person is still got a lot of Felix in him. He's still kind of got that quick humor, but com- talks completely different. Mannerisms completely different. Yes. It's an amazing sort of transformation for him and of himself. But um, I always loved Maria Doyle Kennedy, who plays Mrs. S. Mm-hmm. She brings such a great sort of gravita and seriousness and mystery mm-hmm. um, to the role. So she's just great, too. Anyone who's writing the show off, oh, it's a sci-fi genre show, even if you were to take the clone aspect away from it somehow, I mean, you can't, it's part and parcel of the thing, but the writing, the mystery, the suspense, the what's going on aspect of it 
is so strong. I mean, they're using sci-fi as, I don't want to say as a MacGuffin, but as an element of the thing, not as a crutch to keep what would have otherwise been a, a weak story going. It's an incredibly strong story, and this just plays into it wonderfully. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a few other shows where it's got the sci-fi twist to it, and if it didn't have that, it really doesn't have anything to stand out. You know, uh, a lot of sci-fi cop shows have been kind of that way. Right. I think for this one, the mystery is still about the conspiracy and where things came from, not the science itself. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. The genre doesn't get enough uh, respect from the Emmy voters. I mean, Game of Thrones, clearly very popular, and it's taken them three years before they've finally gotten the numbers of you know Emmy nominations this year to prove that, yes, they, are, they do a good job, and the Emmy voters are now watching them and uh, giving them some kudos. Actually, well, they got nominated a lot out of the gate, but the second season, they actually didn't do any campaigning. Well, that's why I think that a lot of things came out. They, they they cut back a lot. HBO did on promoting the show, hadn't brought the cast all the way out. I think they learned their lesson on the second year when they didn't have it. So for the third year, they brought everybody back out. And I've been doing the full court press ever since. I mean, the Emmys are a game. It's a political match, if anything else, too, to make sure you have it out there, although it's not supposed to be. Um, but, you know, it's like the Oscars or whatever else. You can buy your votes. You can schmooze your way, get things known. I mean, because people are busy and there's so mm-hmm. yeah. much TV out there. Um, so much really good TV out there nowadays, too. So it's hard to stand out from all of that and get remembered. So the campaigning part is just as important as anything else. You can have great material, but I don't think it'll guarantee you. How much longer do you think this bias in those circles against sci-fi and genre-type TV is going to last? Because we're in a day and age where some of the most popular movies are based either on comic books video games or other science fiction stuff. I mean, we're recording this here at Comic-Con, which of course is a mecca for all of this, which has become a huge PR stop for a lot of movies and TV shows, regardless of what genre, if they have any real Comic-Con connection. Well, popularity, popularity doesn't mean quality. True, but I think there's a sense of if it's sci-fi, if it's genre, it can't be quality. Right. But I think we've got enough shows out there, Orphan Black, among many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Continuum's another mm-hmm. good example, where they've shown that you can do great quality in any genre. Right. I believe that. I, um, but I also think there's just so much great quality everywhere now that sci-fi is still a portion of all of that stuff out, too. And having it more popular helps in some ways, too, but there's there's still some biases on it. But I think some breakthrough, very thoughtful things like Orphan Black, you know, can help eventually to break through some of that. Yeah. But um, it's going to take some unusual, really strong ones to break through those kind of barriers, too. Again, from the acting perspective, yeah. I think Orphan Black provided an incredible challenge for an actress who has mm-hmm. just so uh, met and exceeded that. That I mean, to me, it's it's surpassed any even unreasonable expectations. Yeah, pretty much. I think she can punch her ticket on whatever she wants to do after this project. But I think while she's doing it, it's so incredibly exhausting because she's in every single scene and you've got to prepare so many different characters and everything on it, too. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine she's got much spare time uh, other than doing this. I was telling Kay as we were driving out for Comic-Con that... She has the potential of, of, if she wants to do the con circuit afterwards, just doing a, not only an orphan black kind of a panel, but also an acting panel. 
How do you do different characters? How do you build the character? How do you switch between characters? Because I, I think she's got a very unique experience there. Most people will get on a show, do it for however long the show runs, and they that one character. And we've seen a lot of actors who, the character they play, not that different from who they really kind of are in many respects. Whereas for her, again, because she's playing so many very diverse characters, um, I think there's a lot she could do just, again, on giving people uh, acting coaching type lessons. So, I think just watching the show can be a master class. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're not quite done with second season. You're a ways through. You've marathoned all of it in pretty short span? Uh, over the course of two weekends. How does it hold up? I mean, because I think I watched a lot of it kind of marathon too. Um, season one, definitely. Season one, I definitely did not stuff. I, I think it plays very well that way. I do. Uh, certainly, I can imagine trying to wait week to week to try and uh, see the next, you know, tune in next week. for. And it's very nice when you can binge watch everything and uh, you can remember the past episode and, and see how they build. And it, it's quite nice for this type of show to, to see it all at once. Uh, some shows lend themselves much better and you certainly appreciate it much more when everything's fresh in your mind and the intricacies and... Uh, and some of the in jokes, you, you know, it, it flows much better when you, when you just have it fresh in your mind. So I certainly appreciated all that, and it just took off from there. Yeah, I've watched one or two other shows where I think if I hadn't binged watched at first, I wouldn't have stayed with the show. Heroes is a good example of that. It took half a season for things to kind of pull together, and for all the different plot lines they have in, in Orphan Black, it had a very clear connective aspect to that from the beginning which i think helped it a lot i think with orphan black like the first season there's a lot of unveil unrevealing Mm -hmm. there's a lot of revealing going on so it kind of came out slowly and then once a lot of the key elements were sort of revealed kind of a push to the end where everything kind of mixes together up Um, i think in some ways season two was kind of like that it was a slower start as we kind of restarted introduce some new characters, some new situations. This is where everybody is. All the girls are sort of on their separate little um, storylines. And then at the end, again, they weave together and kind of a bigger push pattern on it. So I think that's kind of the thing with Orphan Black, too, is you kind of have to stay with each of the different strands before they weave it all together at the end. And then you get like a really strong finale and then a setup for something a little different next season. Whatever that mysterious might be for those who haven't caught up in the oh, last three episodes. Oh, tell me when I have to leave the room so no. that you can discuss the end of uh, season two. Well, it's one of those things that they have enough reveals during the season that it always is, is uh, like you were saying, they don't telegraph where they're going. It's what's going to happen next. And there are times it's like, man, I should have seen that coming, but but I didn't. I was so enthralled with, with what was in front of me. I didn't feel the need to, to conjecture of, well, they ought to be doing this or they could be doing that because what they're doing is so great. You know, whereas the, a lot of other shows I've watched, what they're doing is fine. It's perfectly good, but has so much unexplored potential. Whereas I think this show has so much realized potential with no signs of slowing down on that. Well, and they don't waste characters. I mean, Linda mentioned Vic earlier. He could have been kind of a throwaway character from season one, used and forgotten. But he came back in season two and was really well used. And Donnie, Allison's husband, he was entertaining in season one and kind of used and 
well, but he didn't feel critical or pivotal necessarily. He was just the husband and she needed to have a husband. But by season two, he's getting more use and better use. And by the end of the season, he was really entertaining me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's just keep this guy around a while longer and let's see what else he gets into. Poor Donnie. He was actually not supposed to, he was not labeled as a monitor on early. They made the decision to actually make him the monitor halfway through season one because they just liked him and thought, you know, maybe that's where we should take a character. See, and I I do kind of believe that because in the early episodes, he wasn't being strongly used. No. Well, and having the ability that you know where you're going, but you can fine tune along the way for what's working and what's not. But, I mean, Victor was certainly one of those characters. At one point in the first season, he was essentially written out of the show. It's like, well, he was fun, but so long. You know, he's he's done what he's needed to do. And when they bring him back, the way they used him, mm-hmm. it it was a lot of fun. Very surprising. It's like, I didn't see that coming. And I don't think there was any reason I necessarily should have. But, you know, they they show that just because they, they seem to have put something on the shelf doesn't mean that it's over and done. They can pull it back and do some really fun stuff with, with mm-hmm. any plot thread they've got. Yeah. When I interviewed the producers at the end of season one, I just had to ask, so is Helena really dead? And they kind of went, you can't ask us that. Why, yes, we can. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I'm like, oh, right, start of season two. I'm like, yeah, that's why they didn't want to answer the question. I don't think they were prepared to artfully stop it quite yet. So when a question like that gets posed to producer, writer, creator, they can't answer the question. They're not going to say, why, yes. The, the cliffhanger we did gets resolved by X, Y, and Z. You don't really want them to lie. You don't want them to not answer the question. I mean, what is their best option at that point? Well, I mean, afterwards, I think they all made the agreement to lie because they all talked about, you know, the Shakira wig is dead. You know, we don't have to put that on anymore and it's gone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's part of how you put the story out there so people still have surprises later. I mean, it wasn't something I was pressing. I was just a curiosity asking and seeing what the reaction would be. Yeah. About the best answers, tune in next season. And she did look like she died there now, didn't she? And yes. And yes. things like that. It's funny because, again, at Comic-Con, I've been to many panels. A lot of that question gets asked. And there are some creators, more in the comic realm and stuff, that will flat out lie to you. Yep, that character is dead as a doornail, never coming back. And then when they come back, it's like suddenly that creator has lost credibility in some respect for promoting the thing. Now, I don't want them to spoil the story, but, but I, don't want I want them to lie. I want them to be honest and say, tune in next season. I don't want to spoil it for you. Well, and again, the answer of, well, the character sure seemed to have been killed off this way, didn't it? You know, and recap what happened. Yeah. That, that, that I think, is probably the best way to go. Don't lie, but you know, yeah. don't answer the question. So, where do you guys think the show ought to go, could go, or whatever in future seasons? Well, Linda doesn't know Yeah, about... she doesn't know about the end of season two. So should I leave the room as you speculate no. more? No. Well, no, uh, you, can, your you can speculate based Start, on what yeah. you do know. Well, f- the first season was a lot of nature versus nurture. The second season is religion versus science. And I still think, as of th- with three episodes I still haven't seen, they haven't... F- completely resolved that conflict so either that will either escalate or it will be, be delved into more deeply unless something happens that i haven't seen um so that seems to be those two themes um, what would you think the dichotomy or the, the the thing would be next season then based on that hmm, good question what would be next 
Because, I mean, they definitely, first season, like you said, nature versus nurture was a lot of what it is. And I think the the science versus religion, definitely good way to sum up uh, season two. Well, and they did a little nature nurture with uh, Rachel mm-hmm. versus Sarah in season two. Well, exactly. They didn't drop through. that theme, but they added another layer on top. And that's what yeah. I like is the show keeps getting more involved, more sophisticated, deeper without losing the ability to enjoy it kind of at that surface level or something. It doesn't get the least bit incomprehensible, but it does get to where there are more threads to be following, more characters to be following, more questions, themes, and angles to be following. Well, I think probably the ends to the means question is probably coming up. You know, you've you've got Kira. You can make more potential Kiras to help out the other clones. Do you go down that road of, do you help your clones now? Or mm-hmm. are you sacrificing the future to pay back the past or to fix the past? The ends versus the means. I think yeah. that would be a good one for them to explore. I would think for perhaps the final season, whenever that might be, the basic right versus wrong. You know, at the end of the day, is this ethical or not? I think we're going to see a lot of conflict with, like, government versus science. Some of those things have been laid out, right? Mm-hmm. With the whole military aspect and some of this. It's true. We haven't heard from the military in a while. Well, and, and think, again, the whole corporate aspect with the dyad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a lot of questions about sort of, you know, your rights over yourself versus government and things like that. The, you know, the whole casino, this is my body, my biology, and what's happening to all of them, which is a very personal sort of manner and how that comes through. I think that's something that's definitely going to come back again. One of the things I want to see them do next season, because they really haven't done too much so far, is Cosima and Felix haven't interacted all that much, particularly in person. They've done a little over kind of the Skype sort of a thing. But given the relationship Felix has with Sarah, Felix has with with Allison, I want to see that one develop. I want to see actually more of Felix because they had promised like Felix had to have more stories and adventures this season. It really didn't happen. He was a little bit more independent from Sarah at the beginning because he was helping with Allison, but he was still much more a helper. Mm hmm on things and he really hasn't gotten his own side story and and something else and i don't think he'll ever have his own like felix spin-off quite yet because he's still very much intermingled with all the different clones um but i think there should be something a little bit more that he wants in here rather than just kind of fill in babysit here fill in picker up here kind of thing he's more in sidekick mode than lead mode in some respect yes and i think he needs a little bit more independence on what's going on. So that's what I'm hoping for Felix for next season. I think the challenge there is how to do that without it diverging right. from the main storyline. So you're saying he gets a main boyfriend in the future? No, I don't think he's ever, he's not quite the monogamous type, right? So, yeah. Um, I think what they're going to do with Art should be interesting because I think that's a character they haven't quite figured out what to do yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though Art and Helena were a lot of fun. Oh, that was interesting. I think that was like, hey, let's put those two together in a room. Well, and Art was another one of those characters with Beth dead. Once Sarah was no longer impersonating Beth, Art could have easily been written off to the side and, okay, that's over, that's done with. But the fact that they keep the the, the different storylines intertwined and, and braided very well together, and every once in a while add another thread to that. Versus, again, starting with something, again, like Heroes did, where you've got something happening in L.A., something happening in another city, something happening in another city, and are they ever going to connect? Starting with the connective aspect of it and then letting them diverge a little and come back together and stuff has worked very well for the show. 
You realize you keep describing this show like a strand of DNA. No, DNA has two things. This has, what, 15,000 clones or some such? I mean, it's, it's, I've lost count of how many characters she's played. About a dozen, more or less. And comparing it to Heroes, in my mind, is not quite a good service to the show. Because I think Heroes had some ideas, but it, it, it derailed very fast on where to go with the storyline. And I don't see that Well, that's my so point, far. is I think yeah. Heroes started off unfocused and derailed. It had a concept, but not a story. And if I hadn't watched the first 11 episodes until it all kind of got to one point, I don't know. If I'd watched it weekly, I don't know that I would have st- stuck with it. Ugh. Whereas out of the gate with, with Orphan Black, a lot of the things Heroes did wrong, they've been doing right since day one. Strong hook at the beginning. Very clear through line. There's a character we can follow. Others get layered in. It gets more complex. What's going on? How is this going to play out? What's she going to do here? Versus a, how do these 18 characters, are they ever going to meet? Right. I mean, in some ways, I'd compare it more to successful shows like Buffy or something else, which had a clear premise and drive and purpose, and this is why it's a series type thing. So, you know, just a lot of comparisons to Heroes. I'm like, well, yeah, it's better than Heroes. Or maybe a better comparison is Galactica with the multiple copies. The thing with that is Galactica was a war show painted up as sci-fi. It was essentially a World War II almost submarine-based show. Um, so while it had window dressing of sci-fi, you know, the, the, the Cylons, can we tell them apart from humans or whatever, there are some similarities with Orphan Black, but I think Orphan Black is fairly unique because it, it started out with a very strong premise and again, kicked off from there. There are other shows that I think have been, well, Continuum, I think it's been very good, very strong arc per season, things change for the next season, strong arc there, kind of a deal, um, but almost a smaller focus, smaller scope than some of what they're doing with Orphan Black. I, I think the fact that it went through pretty much the first season, I think, under a lot of people's radar was unfortunate. I think it's definitely gotten onto people's radar during the second season. IDW is going to be doing a comic book based on it. So I think by third season, it will have hit awareness to the level it really needs and deserves. The question is, are people going to be going back, marathoning through the first and second season to catch up? And I hope they do. And that's where it pays off that it's only 10 episode seasons. They're very easy to go and marathon through and watch in a seating or two and get your mind blown by how wonderful and intense these story arcs are. I think the 10 episode season is also just its advantage because it makes every episode count. Every episode builds. So you don't have a lot of filler episodes where nothing happens and and things like that too and within these 10 episodes you have very clear character development as well as plot and everything else too so it's plotted very well everything is so well managed that you don't get that in a lot of the 20 episode series it's really difficult for a lot of those shows where they have twice the amount of space to keep moving forward well it's, it's funny you say that because going back to your comment of comparing it to show like buffy I can definitely see the the Wheaton-esque aspect of that. Tight writing, strong characters, clear through line. Very similar to Firefly, a dollhouse. And you're right, they have 10 episodes. They can't afford to waste scenes, much less entire episodes. You've got a 22-episode season for a lot of these other shows. Eh, You can take an episode, and I don't say goof off, but be indulgent. They are bad. They're like, they're clunkers in a 20 episode season. Let's face yeah. it. Not the great mm-hmm. ones. And then there are some really great episodes in between. But with Orphan Black, everyone 
moves forward and, is, and you don't have those clunkers in there. Mm-hmm. Well, and not only the clunkers, but again, going to, to Buffy, the experimental ones. Mm-hmm. The, the musical was awesome, but was it critical to the ongoing plot line? No, it was not. There were a lot of epiphanies in that episode that could only be told in song and dance. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Smile time. Okay, Smile Time was an episode that you thought jumped the shark, but it was actually really good. So I... Smile Time is, I love Smile Time. It is, it's an all, it's episode all by itself. Smile Time's the angel episode with the, the puppets. Angel with the puppets, yeah, I saw that. Thank you for clarifying that. Because she hasn't seen it, Kay has not. No, I have not. You know, you lose some of the ability to be indulgent, play around, do the experimental stuff when you've got the the longer seasons. But the fact that everything is on point, on target, and part of the main focus. If you've got a writing team that can do that and stick to that, and certainly Orphan Black definitely does, you wind up 10 episodes later just, wow, each one was very strong, good as a single episode, built to something amazing. Pause, let's wait for the next season and repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Can't wait for what they have to tell us during Comic-Con. Or for the last few episodes of season two that you haven't watched. Ah, I shall depart and let you guys talk. No, no. <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you've got a couple of really great episodes in front of you before they even get to season three. There's a big switch coming up. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Can't wait. I wanted to, but, you know, I had to prep for Comic-Con. There's only so much time as you're binging. I kind of forced her into at least catching up to episode seven to Family Day. Because to me, that was one of the pretty critical episodes of the season. Because a lot of things finally kind of came together. Donnie had the big thing with Leaky and... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of like, for me, the milestone episode for this season. It's worth catching up on shows before Comic-Con if you can. And it's hard. Uh, we're an episode or two behind. I think of Falling Skies, but we're close. Just because of all of the accidental spoilers that may get revealed and stuff during the big panels or just hallway conversations or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely curious what BBC America has to, to say about Orphan Black and what the plans are for the comic. You know, are they going to try to fill in gaps, tell different stories with different clones, or what are they going to do there? Or is it all about the pro-clone? Well, there are also a lot of clones that we don't know a lot of backstories for, like Katya, who had died, the German, with exactly. her story. That's true. And like... Um, Jennifer? Or Jennifer, who was the one that had the polyps in the lungs. Although I think hers is probably a less colorful life. Um, Certainly a shorter story. <laughs> shorter story, but you know, basically she checked in and found the polyps in the lungs and, and had her arc right there. But since Katya had the samples, where'd they come from? How did she find them? How did she start to assemble some of those first identities and connect the dots? That's true. There's a whole huge backstory and storyline to be had there. How, yeah, did, how did that briefcase come to be and all the contents in that briefcase? The whole European you know adventurous so to speak yeah there's also more of the helena backstory you know mm-hmm. yeah a lot they can do a lot of it they'll do in the show some they'll do in the comic should be fun yeah all right cool the show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website please email us at the guys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode thanks for listening